0: What a powerful time of worship this morning. Let's give God a hand in that for that. Thank you, Pastor Danny and just our worship team. What truly all three services, just a powerful time of worship today. And I, I hope you've paid attention to this, to these songs and to what God is is saying to you in, in them. Because as we've talked about today, I mean, we've sung already about is worthy is the Lamb. You, you realize that, that is the phrase that we will be saying throughout eternity that that phrase of worthy is the lamb that was slain for for that he was slain for our sins that he he accomplished all that he has accomplished in us today and so as we do that we just that's going to be our prayer and our song for generations and I today I want to bring your attention as we continue to talk about being a healthy church and experiencing this health that we experience as a church. One of the things I want to share with you today is just that I want to remind you that we are in the midst continually of God's revival in our lives. And I don't know that sometimes when you're in the midst of it, I don't know that you actually see it for what it is. And so I just want to bring some things to your attention. Over the last two weeks, we've seen 15 people follow Christ in baptism. Is that not awesome? I want you to clap to God for that. By the way, Macy, on the back screen is not flipped over yet. So um, just to, that helps me. So sorry about that. But the other thing that I want you to know uh, that in, in the midst of all this, we just dropped below the 26000 mark that we only have $26,000 left to pay on the property. So give God a hand in that as well. Now, that, is, that is tremendous. It puts us right in line to paying off the property by the end of August, which that's just an amazing next step. And we are right launching right into the capital campaign for the building. It's just going to, I mean, God is just doing some incredible things. Last week we reported, but 25 children accepted Christ at our VBS while we were in Honduras. And here's what, yeah, you can clap for that too, some of you. Yeah, the clapping gets less and less. I know, I know, it's like, oh, how much are we going to clap for? But here's, here's the beautiful thing. The pastor in Honduras um, told us, She said, revival is happening in our village because of your obedience. It's beginning with the children and it's going out to the parents and there's just revival that's taking place. And I just want you to know, it's only by God's grace that we get to participate in this. It's not EVC. It's not a group of pastors. It's it's what God is doing, that His Spirit is doing this among us. And I just don't want us to take that for granted. When we talk about being a healthy church, I need to bring this to our attention that in being a healthy church, we need to look at this from the micro level, not just the macro level. You see, our bodies don't work that way. We don't dress ourselves up on the inside and then feel better, or on the outside, and then feel better on the inside. That's not the way our bodies work. I can attest to that this week. My body knows when it's exhausted and tired. My body tends to get sick after I've done a lot of activity. And that's exactly what's happened to me this past week. I've had head stuff and stomach stuff to go with it. It's been really difficult as I've gotten back because my body knows from a cellular level that it's not doing well and that it's exhausted. So starting with VBS that we did here at EVC and for 14 days straight, it was a flurry of activity. And then my body just kind of said, okay, I'm done with you. All right? I'm going to revolt on you to the point that now I have eaten crackers all week and I am now going to the store looking for different kinds of crackers. You know what I'm saying? Oh, one's pretzel on one side and cracker on the other. That looks great. All right, That's what my mind and my body is saying about now because at a cellular level, it knows when it's tired and exhausted. So when we talk about healthy church, we're not talking about looking at the church from the outside and going, okay, these are the characteristics of just what a healthy church is from a macro level, it also translates, and now we're kind of taking a shift into this to spinning it to saying, what does it look like on the micro level? So what that means is, what does it look like for you as an individual believer? Because that's what the church is, right? The church is, if we are healthy, at a cellular level, as an individual believer, and then we gather in life groups of those believers, guess what those life groups will be? Healthy. As those life groups collectively gather together that become and collectively come together as the body of Christ in the local church, guess what our local church is? It's healthy. As the church is now continue to flourish, and as they are healthy on a group or corporate level, and they gather together as the collective body of Christ in the world today, guess what the church is? It is healthy. And then it has the opportunity to impact our culture. I believe we are living in a day and age. Ann Graham Lotz, the daughter of Billy Graham, sent out an email uh, kind of worldwide this past week in a prayer for seven days. It as we continue to look at the Middle East, as you continue to see the things that are happening, and as wars continue just to continue to expand out, we may be living in the very last days. We may be running the last leg before Jesus Christ comes. Now, I'll tell you, Peter and Paul believed that they were living in those last days, that Jesus would have returned by the end of their lifetimes. And He may wait, and He may not come in my lifetime. But as I look at the world today, it continues to just deteriorate more and more. And we need the healthy church, you as an individual believer, to be healthy if we're going to counteract the culture and continue to carry the baton effectively into the last leg of what we see as the final race before Christ returns. That's us, ladies and gentlemen. We are running our last leg, whether... Whether we are the final generation or not, we're running our last leg to to bring Christ's glory more and more in this life. And so, as we talk about the healthy church today, we're going to begin to talk about this on the micro level what does it mean for you to be healthy? And today, we're shifting to talk about, over the next several weeks, prayer. Are we a praying church? We are a church that's known for going to other places in the world. We're a church that's known for being contemporary. We're a church that's known for using every bit amount of space that we have and continuing to be willing to add services to make room for people. We are known as a church that reaches out to others. We are known for a church that has quality children's ministry. We are known as a church that now reaches out and has a great student ministry. We have just begun a ministry to special needs families, and we are having more and more special needs families come to EVC. So these are the things that we're known for. Are we known to be a praying church in our community? Bart and I have been talking about this, and we know that one of the things that our church often is is a reflection of its leadership as well. And I'm going to be very honest with you. BART will be next week as well. We struggle and have always struggled with taking specific amounts of dedicated time to prayer in our lives. It's been a spiritual discipline that we both have said, man, that has been something over my life as a believer I have struggled with. We're going to talk about what I believe why I've experienced this personally. And we're going to talk about what that looks like as we see barriers To developing a meaningful prayer life. But our prayer is, and our full intention, and we believe our purpose given by God is to lead our church to be a praying church. Because when we're a praying church, it's then that dependence transfers to what God really wants to see happen, that we become the available vessels. And in order to do that and to see this on a micro level, I think first we have to see what it does and what it says about being a praying church in God's Word. I want you to go to the book of Acts if you want to look there. I just want us to cover just a few scriptures that talk about this whole aspect of being a praying church. In Acts one fourteen, we see the church the new church gathered, the early church. And it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers. And you're going to see these two words, prayer and devoted, or devoting themselves to prayer. That's going to be a consistent theme that you see in Scripture. Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, amen, we like the breaking of bread. We like the uh, communal meals together, right? All right, this is audience participation time. Yes, I'm seeing some heads now. Yes, we like the. It's close to lunch. Need I remind you of that, okay? And to what? Prayers that they devoted themselves. Acts 6 verse 4, And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then Colossians 4.2, Paul writes to the Colossian church, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So we continually see this idea of are we devoting ourselves to prayer? For what in the world does devote really mean? So let's look at this definition. Here are several definitions. One is to adhere to or to be His adherent, to, His, to be His follower, to be devoted or constant to one. So if you are devoted, you are constant to one. If you are married today, you are devoted to your spouse. Amen? Really poor. All right. If you are married today, you are devoted to your spouse. Amen? All right. It's good to hear some ladies' voices in that as well. You know, you are married not just to your spouse. You are married to the exclusion of all other spouses. Amen? All right. There you go. So we are devoted to one. We are devoted in this relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about with prayer today. That prayer is simply communication. It is our relationship with Jesus Christ, as Bill Bright talks about. It is taking in God's Word or breathing in and then exhaling prayer. It is taking in God's Word and exhaling prayer. It is this ongoing relationship with the Father that we are taking in this relationship and our exhale is our prayers to God, not only for what we need, but in adoration to who He is. So we are going to be talking about that, that we are the believers or followers of one. Another definition, to be steadfastly attentive unto, to give unremitting care to a thing or to a person, to continue all the time in a place. I want to ask you this question. Do you have a place of prayer? Do you have a place of devotion between you and God, is there a specific place that you think of when you think of that time alone with God? Is there a place in your home? As Rick Redwine and Dean Childers are leading their families today in a wilderness expedition in Colorado, I've heard Rick say many times that he experiences God more in the abs- or the, the the place in the presence of nature. So your place may not be inside, it may be outside, but do you have a place where you commune and fellowship and simply have this ongoing relationship with God. Unfortunately for us, our prayer has gotten to the place where we think it's got to be this manufactured thing that just has to happen in this, this way or that way, but it's just this conversation with God, if you will, that you're communing and communicating with God. To persevere and not to faint, it's a consistent level of, to devote ourselves, to show oneself courageous for a task of prayer, and to be in constant readiness for one, waiting on constantly. I've got to admit to you, this has been a struggle in my life from the time that I accepted Christ until today of this just ongoing communal relationship one with me and the father I am much more comfortable out actively doing stuff I just got a reprimand from my brother Jorge Tapiero as I was outside moving the sign he goes, hey brother, delegate ask somebody to help you do something I don't do that well I tend to just go out and do it and I'm tend to be much more happier or much more happy uh, when I'm just out doing stuff see the inherent weakness of that. Is what I struggle with here, that I find myself not depending upon the Father's strength to the point that I get myself to places of exhaustion. That's not healthy. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for you. So this is the early church. So I want you to ask your. I want us to ask this question: Why in the world should we be a praying church? If that's a reputation we want, not just a reputation. I don't care about reputation. If that's what we need to be, Amen then how can we and what does it mean to be a praying church? Well, here's what it means. Four quick things. A praying church indicates that we are dependent upon God's power. All right? When we're a praying church, we are indicating that we cannot do this. This is a God-sized task and we cannot accomplish this on our own. It means that we no longer do and plan our life and then ask God to bless our plans. Instead, we go to God and seek His desire what our plans should be, amen? That's what God wants us to do is not make our plans and then go, okay, God, would you bless this mess that I've created? No, God wants you to go to Him before you make the mess and get His design on what your life needs to be. But so frequently, our prayers are, we get in the foxhole, the artillery is going off and we're going, God, I didn't mean to get here. Well, you shouldn't have gone in the first place like I told you. We don't need to seek God after we've already are out there beyond the reach of where His, not just His presence, but where His protection is. We need to go back to that place and make sure that we are in line with what He wants. It is a God-sized and God-dependent. We need to be dependent upon His power. Number two, a praying church indicates a depth of intimacy with God. That we want to be intimate with God. We want to have this relationship that's ongoing. We want to have an opportunity where we are hearing from God. Now, many of you struggle with this. And as a church, we may struggle with this because maybe your relationship with your earthly father, has you've had a struggle to have that in-depth communication with. I know I did. I struggled with that with my father. My father was a great man, he was a man of God, but he was often a man of few words, especially when it came to really talking about his feelings for us as his kids. We saw it, we saw the expression of love, but we didn't often hear it. I have taken this, and I have at times I'm driving with my daughters, and I struggle with those same types of intimacy of saying, I know what I want to say, but it just doesn't flow out the way that I want it. To come out, it's kind of a hereditary thing, and to the point that you may experience in your relationship with God that you attribute to God the same characteristics of your earthly father. And if you struggle in that relationship, you may struggle to see God as one who wants to be intimate and to have a relationship, a personal walk with you. Number three, a praying church indicates a desire. For God to get the glory rather than our names being known. When we are a praying church, what that means is we want the glory to go to God. We don't care that it's my name or that I'm ever recognized as a part of this process. I just want all glory to go to God. It doesn't mean that the name of EVC is plastered around. It doesn't mean that we're writing our next best-selling book to promote our names and what's going on. No, it is Jesus Christ Christ who gets the glory when a praying church is out there it it means that our dependence is upon Him and He gets the glory. Number four is a praying church displays a God-sized vision rather than what we can accomplish on our own. The question for us is this. Do you have a God-sized vision for your individual life? When we look at it as a church, are we desiring to go out to a new piece of property to build a, new, a bigger building so that we can be more comfortable, so we can spread out a little, so we can have fewer services and do these things? No. That's a man-sized vision. A God-sized vision is we need to reach northwest Tarrant County. We need to reach into Honduras, into Montreal, into Malawi. We need to reach this world for Christ. That's a God-sized vision because it's a task that we can't accomplish on our own. But so often we look at church growth principles. We say, okay, we're not growing because of this. Well, at EVC, we're, we can say we're not growing because we don't have an attractive parking lot. Isn't our parking lot attractive? I'm telling you, isn't that gravel just what you love to see every time? I mean, most of our members don't even park in our parking lot. You realize we have twice as many people who park on the street than park in our lot. Okay? That's not by accident. It's ugly. Okay? We know that. We understand that. We don't We don't come in and, and say, hey, we've got this great hallway. that's just really easy to get down and get in between two services, especially when the long-winded pastor goes over a little bit. Okay? So that's not what... We're not about our comfort. We're about a God-sized vision. Is your individual vision for your life, is it God-sized? Or is it simply something that you feel like, I can, I can handle on my own? A few months ago, we had a man who spoke at our Man Church event. His name was Chris Fagley, a good friend of mine, uh, Arlington police officer that is now involved in ministry. And Chris uh, made mention on that night that he spoke. He said, Thank you, Randy Miller, for a lot, for leading our men At several years ago. I led a group of men through a study of a book called Halftime. He said, thanks for, thanks for uh, totally ruining my retirement. He said, what I thought retirement was was having a beach house and picking up seashells. That's what I thought my retirement was going to be. But now I've seen that... God wants me to be more significant in my retirement even than I've been up to this point in my life. God wants me to live for significance. And so now he sees the rest of his life as he's getting ready to retire from the Arlington PD to now it's a whole ministry platform that God is doing in Chris's life. He and his wife have bought a ranch in Paris, Texas and they're going into a a camping and retreat ministry for churches and pastors and, and people. It's a beautiful thing. You see, when it's a God-sized vision, and that's what I want to ask you, do you have a God-sized vision? Do you even need God to work in your life? Or have you reduced what you can see happen in your life to only what you can accomplish and what what money you can raise and what you can do in your lifetime? Or is it bigger than that? It needs to be a God-sized vision because that's what points to the fact that we're a praying church. All right. So that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about how can we be a praying church? How can we be a praying people? And it boils down to this. It boils down to communication. Now, I was a communication major communication major in college. And so I want to welcome you into Dr. Miller's classroom today. We're going to go through some beginning understanding of communication. How many of you went through beginning speech in high school or college? Okay, raise your hand. So you should know, ladies and gentlemen, what the communication model is. And so I'm going to give you a little quiz as we go along through this. So get out your papers and your, and your uh, pencils and put your name at the top. All right, put your student number and ID on the left. No, no, you don't have to do that. But we're going to take a little quiz. So the first thing about the communication model, because here's why we're talking about the communication model. That's what prayer is. It's just communicating with God. So if we will see what the communication model is and we kind of break that down and understand what that model is, we can understand what communication with God is as we pray because that's what this is really all about. So the communication model, first of all, involves this person. This person is called the sender of the message. Guess who the sender of the message is today? Okay, that's me. I am the sender of the message for you today. And so we have a sender and we have a message So at this point, the communication model is complete, correct? No. No. See, it tricks some of you. Because the communication model is not complete at this point. Because we must have, if we're going to have communication, we must have another person. And this person is the receiver. Guess who the receiver is today? Very good. You are the receiver today. And so now that we have... A sender and a message and a receiver. Now the communication model is complete. Correct, Scott Biscup? No, I'm call- okay. He says no. I see. I'm calling you if I need to. So, no, the communication model is not complete because in order to be complete, we must have what's called feedback. All right. So, can you understand what feedback is? Amen. All right, some of you don't understand what feedback is because verbal feedback would be, say, can you understand what feedback is? Amen? All right, so now you understand that the communication model is now complete. A message has gone out, you've heard it, and you've sent a message back. This is the communication model. Now, how does this react with prayer? Well, we send messages, or God sends us messages in His Word, and we respond in prayer or in obedience, in service to others. We send messages to God, and He responds with what it is that we need to do next. We have this ongoing communication, as Bill Bright talks about it. It is exhaling, where we intake God's Word, we exhale prayer, and we have this ongoing relationship between us and God at all times. And this forms communication. This is what prayer really is all about. But there's one aspect that we've not talked about yet. And that is this one. It's called noise. Noise comes in as a barrier, any kind of barrier. So here's the definition of noise. It is any kind of barrier that interrupts this process. Can you go to the next slide, Macy? Yeah. Noise is anything that creates a barrier in this process of communication. That's what noise is. So noise is something that happens when we're in the environment trying to communicate. And so it kind of goes like this. If I'm continuing to say this message to you today and there were noise in the room, all right? So there's all kinds of things that could be going on. And I could be sending you this message and trying to get the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. And so you understand some of these things. Okay. All right. We can stop that. But that's noise, right? Okay? So noise is not only different stimulus. It can be a audio stimulus. It can be uh, something that's going on in our environment. It can be physical. We've actually did, figured out, as we've begun our special needs ministry, on the first day of VBS, we had several special needs children who are part of our VBS. And we discovered, we knew this, but we didn't know the effect that it would have, that children with autism often have... Issues of auditory stimulus that it's really difficult for them to focus when there's lots of different auditory things that are happening in the room. And so on day two of VBS, while Pastor uh, Danny was up here getting our kids' attention and yelling and playing loud music and all th- all those types of things, we discovered that that was not the proper environment for our autistic kids. And so on day two, we checked them in, in a different area. Why? To isolate them? No. So that we would have an environment that's more conducive to their learning. And that's what this process is that we have with God. We want to be in an environment where we can continue to learn and hear from Him. We want to identify what the barriers or what the noise is in our communication model with God so that we can begin to communicate more effectively. So that's what we're going to look at today, what some of these barriers are. Now, To illustrate this, I discovered this on our trip to Honduras, that one of our members, Elaine Lunsford, got a cell phone and was texting on her cell phone. Now, how many of you have cell phones that are texting on your phones, okay? Statistics will say that 97% of the United States have cell phones and are kind of using them to text, okay? So you've just discovered, some of you, you're in the 3%, okay? But if you are texting, you've discovered that there are shortcuts that you can use, for words that now you don't have to text the whole word. So instead of saying thank you, you say T-Y. All right, thank you very much. Well, Elaine discovered that not all the shortcuts mean what you think they mean. (laughs) Elaine thought LOL meant lots of love, is what Elaine thought, which is just fine in most situations until your daughter-in-law's mom passes away and you send her a text. I'm praying for you, LOL. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we have a communication problem. Because her daughter-in-law heard, I'm praying for you, laugh out loud. Really? Do you think that's appropriate? And for two weeks, the relationship went cold because of a communication error. We call this the barrier of ignorance in Elaine's life. And her son came to her and said, Mom, what do you think LOL means? Well, son, it means lots of love. No, it actually means laugh out loud. She went, oh, oh no, what have I done? And she went back, apologized, and renewed the relationship. She helped the communication model flow more freely. Well, here's the issue. That happens in our life all the time, in our walk with Christ, that we get off in our communication, that we see barriers, we see noise come in. So what I want us to do today, to finish up today, is I want to give you seven barriers. Now, we're going to go through these very quickly, and I want to give you lots of Scripture that goes with them. So I want to encourage you to write these Scriptures down, because here's your homework for this week. This is a class, okay? And remember... You put your name on, on your paper So here's the homework The homework for you is to take these verses And to relook at them through the week and I want you to ask yourself What are the barriers to your communication Or your prayer life with God I'm going to freely share what mine are And what the, which of these I mainly struggle with And uh, my daughter is on the front row And she's going to identify the things That she thinks that I struggle with No, no, she's, hopefully she's not going to do that All right, so the first barrier to an effective prayer life with God is pride. It's pride. Now, this is a great place to start because it's where all sin starts, right? But pride is a significant barrier to our prayer life and our prayer time with God. Now, why is pride a significant barrier? It's a hard area to overcome because we have to ask ourselves, do we think God can really do what He says He can do? Or do we think we can handle this on our own? We just got back from Honduras and always I was telling Jorge as we were planning this out and as we were going to VBS, I kept saying, hey Jorge, don't worry, we got this. That was our big statement that we started to make to the point that Jorge is a much more organized individual than I am. I know that would shock you, but um, Jorge and I, we roomed together in, in, in Honduras the whole time and so We were bouncing things off each other, and one of the things that Jorge had was a great plan for rotating our VBS and for having the children rotate into five different groups. Well, on night one, we discovered instead of having five groups, we had them all in one place because we had no electricity in any other building except one. So we had what we thought would be 130 kids. Now we had 260 So with the first few minutes of being in country, Jorge took his plan that he had worked on and he threw it out the window. And what did I say to Jorge? Don't worry because we've got this. Now the reason I said that is because my superiors in my past have told me, one of them named Mike Reed told me, Randy, what you really need to do is you need to be the ringmaster of a three-ring circus. That is really what you are most gifted at doing. So I took that. Another consultant in my life said, let me under, let me help you understand your personality, and I was like, "Good, I'm glad somebody can help me understand my personality." He told me this is a consultant who does major business consulting. He said your personality type can sit in a room, and the whole room is on fire, and you can find order in the chaos within that room. I'm going, "Yeah, that's that's so me. I love I love chaotic situations because I tend to work best in those chaotic situations." I am very sick like that, okay? But what does it lead me to? To saying statements like I said to Jorge. Don't worry because we've got this. That is an arrogant statement, especially in a time of prayer. Pride says this. God, don't worry. This is just a this is a, this is a Randy-sized task. I've got this. That's not where we need to be in our prayer life. Prayer also says, God, you've got 7 billion people to watch out for. Do you really need to listen to my prayers? That God doesn't care intimately enough or that He's not able to hear the prayers of 7 billion and still be personal with you. You see, pride leads us to places that it's a significant barrier in our prayer life. Luke 18 deals with this as Jesus tells the story of two prayers two individuals who were praying. The first, he says, two men went into the temple to pray. Luke 18, verse 10. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. And I want you to document how many times you see the word I. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat and I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week I give a tenth of my income. How many times do you see I? I. Eight times. I. 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 It's all about pride. It's about me. This guy's a very religious man. Fast twice a week, gives a tenth. He's a tither. But what is he? He's a person who's hindered in his prayer, he's a person who has a significant barrier. Jesus goes on. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And James 4, verse 6 and 7, continues this. He says, and he gives grace generously. That's what we sang about earlier. He gives grace generously. As the Scriptures say, God opposed the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Don't allow this area of pride to say, God, I've got this. No. Live your life to say, God, you've got this, but I'm here with you. I am on, I am here for the ride, to whatever you want to do, but God, you've got this this. That needs to be what we say. The second barrier to our prayer is this, and this is my major weakness, people and tasks or busyness. A major issue in our prayer life is that we are so focused on people and on tasks that we are so busy that we lose sight of what God really wants to do. Ninety-seven percent of people in America have cell phones. As you take it out and look at it today, on average, in the 16 hours that most of us are awake, we look at our cell phones 150 times. Now, some of you are looking at your spouses and go, yeah, you're that, you're that guy. You're that guy. And some of you are going, well, I only look 40 or 50. That means that the rest of us are probably more like 250, okay? We look at our task and our abilities. Like I said earlier, I am a person that I would much rather be in the game and doing things. When I played basketball in high school, I never wanted to be on the bench, so I was going to do whatever it took for me to be on the court because I was a person who always wanted to be on the court. Don't give me anything in the background. I want to be on the stage. I want to be doing the stuff. I want to be serving. I want to be out there doing busy things. And that sounds really good but it can be a huge hindrance to your communication and intimacy with God. When all the busyness takes center role instead of your relationship with God. What did Jesus Christ do? Jesus withdrew from people. There's a great resource that we're going to put up on the website. I forgot to mention the other two services, and I want you to know about it. But it's going to be on our website near the media. Uh, for this message, and it's called Tyranny of the Urgent. It's written by a mayor named, named Charles Hummel, and he wrote this for the Navigators, and it's just a small little booklet. It'll take you less than 10 minutes to read, but what it talks about is that we live for the tyranny of the urgent. When you look at your phone 150 times a day, what you're doing is actually letting the squeaky wheel get the grease. It's what the most immediate thing is when the most important thing gets pushed to the back. The most immediate thing gets done, but the most important thing gets pushed to the back. And what's the most important thing? Your communion with your Heavenly Father. But when you get busy, and that's the reason we encourage people to start your day off in prayer and devotion with God, because if you get into your day, you're going to think you're way too busy to do this. But it's the most important thing that you and I will do is to withdraw and get alone with God. Jesus did this in Mark one thirty five. He said, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who could have done everything in His deity as the Son of God, yet He chose not to, Everything on earth that Jesus did, He did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because He had to do it that way, but He chose to do it that way. Why? So that we would have a model of how to live this life. Jesus chose to do everything He did through the power of the Holy Spirit. To whom? What? We all have the same access to. And Jesus chose to withdraw and get away and allow Himself to hear from God and hear the things that, That God wanted him to the the Father wanted him to do, and he isolated and got away from the task and the people. Jesus, the person who loved people more than any other, got away from people so that he could hear from the Father. Not only in Mark 135, but in Mark 6:46, it says. After telling everyone goodbye, I love that, that the Bible is so intimate. After telling everyone goodbye, Jesus said goodbye to everyone, and then He went up to the hills by Himself to pray. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. If you're going to get away for anything, get away to spend quality time with God in prayer. Do you have that place where you can get away? Do you have that time where you maybe fast from your media, fast from your phone, or fast from Facebook, or from email? Most folks who who are great in time management say that you should not check your email more than three times a day. That you should check it only three times a day because when you check an email, it leads you to do something else. It would just get you in this hurried activity to do all these different kinds of things. And you leave God out. Now one thing I want to be clear about is, Jesus did get away early in the morning. You may not be a morning person. You may be grumpy Gus in the morning. For goodness sakes, meet with God at night, okay? Give God the best time of your day. That's really, for me it's morning. I am a morning person. I wake up running. That's what I, that's who I am. Jennifer is not a morning person. None of the women in my household, I don't talk to anyone until 9 a.m. or so. It's just not wise for me to do. They are all evening people. So the best time likely for them may be in the evening. Listen, don't set yourself in a judgmental place where you pick the best time that is good for you, okay? But find a time and spend it with God. Number three, the barrier is ineffective models of prayer. Let me just do this today. Let me apologize to you for the church and how the church in general has taught prayer. We have taught ineffective models of prayer. You know, we teach things like, we have to have a certain God language in order for us to talk to God. You have to say, say God with me like that. Just, it's freeing. Say, say God. Yeah, that's, and it has to be many syllables. God. You don't have to do it like that. If you really want to get God's attention, I'll never forget. I I met this pastor. and He is a, in Southern Baptist life, he is, he was a big time pastor. I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to go there. But he was a short man. And when I met him for the first time, hello, sir, my name is Randy Miller. And, you know, I was very honored to meet him. And he goes, hello, Randy, how are you? And I mean, I'm like, where did that voice come from? (laughs) That is the biggest voice out of the smallest man I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm like, he's got the pastor voice, you know? What's up with that? That's the reason I am way against the pastor voice, okay? You, you see what you get with me, okay? This is it. Because we don't want to elevate to be something that we're not. To me, that's just fake. And so ineffective models of prayer where you have to put an ETH after everything. We thanketh God, okay? Yeah. No, this isn't this isn't uh, 15th century England, okay? And this is not the... And by the way, if you're reading the King James Version translated in 1611, hello, ladies and gentlemen, you might have a little bit of t- trouble understanding the King, King James Version as a result of that. But that's not God language. We have taught ineffective models of praying. One of the things that I've noticed over the last four and a half years of being here at EVC is that many times in our life groups and different things people don't like to pray out loud maybe they think that maybe maybe you think that you're going to use the wrong verb tense or something or that you're going to forget a request that someone had made or or, or one of those things hey i'm from arkansas there's only one verb tense you know that it doesn't matter just say just talk to god just communicate with him like you're communicating to your best friend because that's who He is. Another ineffective model that we've taught you, and I'm going to make some of you mad about this, is called prayer requests. Prayer requests are an ineffective model of prayer. Why? Because we spend 25 minutes telling stories about what we need to pray about in a minute and a half praying. Right? So here's a novel idea. Why don't you try this next time you're with your group? And that is Get in groups of three or four and pray your prayer request. I have in my life group, I have said, I don't want to hear any prayer requests. All right? I want you to pray your prayer request. If you have a prayer need, pray it. And the people that are in your group now know your prayer need and they can pray for you afterwards. That's not to say that you should never take prayer requests, but it's an ineffective model oftentimes of prayer because we just need to spend time praying with each other. So, Jesus talked about these ineffective models. Matthew 6, 6 and 7, He says, When you pray, go away by yourself and shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on. I love that. Don't babble on and on. I went, I know that person. I know who's talking about. Don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. If you study world religions, Hinduism, Buddhism... Islam and often Judaism are babbling prayers. They're the same prayers over and over and over and over and over and over over again. Jesus says, don't babble on with your prayers. Pray in a relationship with your Father who loves you intimately, who speaks to you, as the song said, not as orphans, but as sons and daughters of the King. That's who you are. Speak to Him like that. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So ineffective models can be a particular barrier to your prayer life if that's the only prayer that you've seen. i got to be honest. I have said, I say virtually the same lunch prayer, if we're praying over lunch, that my father prayed. And oftentimes, my daughters will attest to this, I've prayed bedtime prayers at lunch because I was so tired and exhausted. They're like, what are you doing? We're not going to sleep. What are you talking about? All right, those who are laughing have done the same thing. Okay, so don't do these just prayers of repetition. Pray what's on your heart to your heavenly Father who loves you. Barrier number four, unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief is a barrier because you have to believe that God really can do what you pray or else why are you praying? This is really simple. We make this out to be kind of difficult. and We've got, we got to have enough faith to make this happen. No, really what the deal is is this. You have to believe that God, you have a God-sized task that you need God to meet. And you have to really believe that He can do that. Or else why are you going to ask Him to do it in the first place? Here's what I think. If you're really asking it and believing it in your heart, you're having that kind of faith. Because some people are going to tell you, look, if you don't have enough faith, you're not going to be able to see this thing. I think... That's not biblical. But here's the verse. I want us to explain it. Matthew 21, verse 21 says this, And Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything and if you have faith, you will receive it. Now, what Jesus is not saying is, if you want a Porsche and you call upon the Lord and go, I want the Porsche and you will receive it. That's not what Jesus is saying in the least. This is not the name it and claim it prayers. Although, that's what pastors are going to preach about this verse. But in the context of Scripture, what this verse means is, God has a flow of His will for you over your life. It's not that you go, I want that dude's flow over there. I'm going over there. I want that. No. God has a flow for your life. Your role is to submit to what God's design for your life is and to get within that flow. Then when you ask for the things that you are see as God-sized task, He's already ready and able to give it to you and ready and willing, not able. He's always able. He's ready and willing for you to receive that. Let me explain this to you. Four years ago, my mother died from cancer. I prayed that she would be healed from cancer, and she was, but not in the way I wanted her to be. I had to get my life inside of the flow of where God wanted, to the point that after she had gone through three bouts and rounds of chemo, I said, Mom, it's okay if you don't want to fight anymore. And she said, That's good because I don't want to fight anymore. And I said, Great, go home. And she did. See, God answers things in ways that we don't always understand, and yet we tell people that if you'll just pray and have faith, God will heal you. Well, here's the deal. If you haven't noticed, for one for every one, every person that's ever been healed dies at some point in time. True? Every person that's ever been healed dies at some point in time. So our role is not to tell God what He needs to do, but to discover the flow of, that he has for us, and to get within that flow. And that may be that he heals you completely, and that may be that he is with you as you go through difficulty. Because why? The goal is that he receives glory, not that we make a name for ourselves. That's what faith is. Faith says, I can receive whatever you give me, God, because I believe you're the goal and not my particular desire. Does that make sense? That's what this verse is really talking about. Number five, a barrier for prayer is weakness. Weakness. Matthew twenty six, forty one, Jesus is speaking to the disciples as they are in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus goes to the cross. And he has chosen Peter, James, and John to pray with him. And he says, Then he returned to the disciples, excuse me, and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me for one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. God knows that we are frail. God knows of us, knows that many of us have the attention span of a gnat. Okay? God understands that. He created us, but he still calls us to push to persistent prayer and push to longer times with him. To grow in this area, even if this is a physical weakness for you. Okay, I struggle with this. I struggle with long periods of time in prayer with God because my attention is always moving to what's the next activity I need to do. This very morning, I was on my way to church, and I came to one particular intersection that is always notorious for this, and I sat at a red light, and no one was coming. I sat there for a minute. I'm timing this at this point. I sat there for two minutes and no cars had come. And during the third minute, a car came and they went right through the light. And I'm going, really? Really? Come on, God, what's going on here? And so I wait for over three minutes. At this point, somebody pulls up behind me. Now I'm being very animated in how frustrated I am with doing different things. And in time of confession, I ran the red light. Okay, I'm just telling you guys that I did that. You didn't hear that, okay? But I, <laughs> I ran the red... Don't ever do what I do. Do what I tell you, not what I say, not what I do. But I ran the red light and I watched it. I was able to watch the light in the distance and I could literally see it for a half mile. It never changed. It never, ever changed. And so I'm watching this. So I get very impatient. It was not a red light camera light, just so y'all know, I... Get out! At one point, I wanted to get out of the truck and go, hey, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Never changed. Maybe your weakness is impatience. God wants to work on you and your weakness. And he wants to work on my weakness of impatience. He wants you, maybe your weakness is an addiction. And that literally when you get in times alone by yourself, that seems to be when the demons come back. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography. Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol or to drugs or to people. And maybe when you get alone is when all the the words and literally the phrases of the enemy come back to you saying, You're not worthy. What'd you do last night? You can't pray to God. I mean, why do you that's what the voice of the enemy is going to sound like to you. That's what it sounds like to me. You're not worthy. And to that, you go back with the truth. I am a child. I am a son. I am a daughter of the King. My weakness, matter of fact, go to what Paul says in 1 in, uh, Corinthians. as He says, "My his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So my weakness is actually a good thing because that's where God shows up is in my weakness. So don't allow your weakness to be the barrier. It can actually be your place of strength. Number six. Number six is lack of persistence. We do live in a fast food world that our culture continually tells us we need it and we need it now. So when we pray something and God doesn't answer it like we think He should, we quit praying. But do we have persistence? Jesus dealt with this. Luke 18 verse 1. One day Jesus told His disciples a story to show that they should always pray And never give up. And he tells the story of the persistent widow who goes to the neighbor's door and knocks. And most of us would knock for a while until they quit. They didn't come and it's late at night so we're not going to knock anymore. Not this lady. She kept knocking. Some of you are this persistent widow. I have emails from you, okay? And you keep knocking, all right? That's good. You keep knocking because that's what God's called you to do and you keep knocking. But see, so often we get tired. But what Christ wants us to do, our barrier, is that we need to be persistent in our prayers. Not babbling on, but always taking our needs before the Father who loves us and desires to to meet our need. Be persistent. Ephesians 6, verse 18, Paul says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Continue praying. Don't allow this to be the barrier. The final barrier is this. Unforgiveness. Yeah. Boy, thanks. You saved that one for last. Yeah. Unforgiveness. Mark eleven twenty-five. 25. Jesus was very clear. His words, not mine. But when you were praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in Heaven will forgive your sins too. It's like a monkey who sticks his hand in the cookie jar, (laughs) or a young child, you use whichever one you'd like, but they stick their hand in the cookie jar, and they can get their hand in, but when they grab the cookie, they can't pull it out. You can't hold on to a grudge and receive God's forgiveness at the same time. It's not God's weakness, it's yours and mine. Okay? We can't hold on to stuff and still receive... We only have these two hands. And if we're holding on to stuff here, we can't receive what God has for us here. We have to let go of it. And it's not easy, and I know it's not. And some of you have been wounded incredibly deeply. And so for me to just gloss over this and say, just forgive them, I know it's not that easy. But you've got to continue to do the work with God. And that doesn't mean you need to go and ask them for, for or try to get their forgiveness from them. You can get it straight from God. Don't open yourself up. Don't bleed among sharks, okay? Coming up on Shark Week, by the way. But don't bleed among sharks. Simply ask God to give you a forgiving heart and let go of that so that you can receive that forgiveness and that your prayers will not be unhindered. So these are seven barriers, seven barriers to our prayer lives opening up to what God wants us to be. Over the next several weeks, we're going to continue to talk about prayer with this desire that we be praying individual believers and a praying church, that God would hear us and hear our prayer in this. Would you just bow your heads with me right now? Close your eyes. and The reason I have you bow your heads and close your eyes is so you can focus on just you. So it's just you and the Father right now. And I'm going to ask you to do something with me today and that is with your with that is with your eyes closed head bowed just open up your palms and put them face up now in doing that what I want you to envision is maybe this barrier that you've had just releasing it to God just releasing it I'm going to read over these just one one time quickly. And I want you to think about which of these might be you. Do you have the barrier of pride? Do you have the barrier, as I do, of people and tasks or busyness seeking to do it all yourself? Do you have the barrier of an ineffective model of prayer that's been in your life that you need to release? Do you have a barrier of unbelief? Do you believe that God cares enough just for you? Do you believe He can really do what He said He would? Do you have a barrier of weakness and addiction of something in your life, of your attention, a weakness in your character? Do you have a lack of persistence to continually go to God? Do you have some area of unforgiveness? Father, as our palms are open to you right now, Lord, we release these things. We release these barriers. Lord, we know that they want to creep back into our lives. And every time they creep back in, we want to come right back to this place where we release them to you. Because we want nothing to hinder our fellowship with you, our communion, our discussion, our pleading, our talking with our very best friend, our daddy, our father. So, Lord, we open our hands to you. We release the barriers in our life. And we pray that you would meet each need. Lord, that our communication would come forward to you. That we would become a believer in you that communes with you. That we would become life groups that commune with you. That we would become a church that is a praying church. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Pastor Kyle, tell us what's going on this week.